0: Are you a fan of young adult novels?
1: Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels?
0: Then join author Eric J. Brown
1: and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle
0: every other Tuesday on YAOK,
1: available on all podcasting apps.
0: Woo! Are you a fan of young adult novels?
1: Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels?
0: Then join author Eric J. Brown
1: and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle
0: every other Tuesday on YAOK.
1: Available on all podcasting apps.
2: Woo! Hey, everybody. Producer Matt here. Unfortunately, Gelsey and I both have crazy schedules for the month of July. Uh, For a quick shout-out, if you want to meet me, you can go over to the GeekScape booth at 3919 at San Diego Comic-Con this year. But for the next week or two, you're going to hear a few old episodes of podcasts that I produce that Gelsey was a part of. And you'll hear me on both of the episodes that I'm releasing but I hope you still hang on Enjoy these Maybe even check out the shows that the audio is from And we'll be back with some regularly scheduled Before my time content Very, very soon Thank you for being understanding And we can't wait to provide you more awesome episodes In the very, very near future Sure
3: This week, we discuss our first fictional band, the Archies. YouTuber Gelsey Laurie joins us to talk Sugar Sugar. We break down how the group was born out of spite, discuss some of our other favorite fictional bands, and get into a deep dive about the history of Archie Comics. We also try to determine how the heck this bubblegum pop song became the best-selling single of 1969.
1: I just can't believe the loveliness of believe the wonder of this feeling
2: too. I just can't believe it's true. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed. And you can live off royalties forever. And it makes
3: me wonder. Is it just a wonder? Is it one hit thunder? All right, cool. Gelsey well, you are our first guest to bring a cartoon band to the table
0: (laughs) i could not resist it
3: yeah and not just any cartoon band we're talking about the cartoon band that had somehow the number one selling single of 1969 which this blows my mind because 1969 is vietnam and woodstock and all this stuff how
2: is this Bubblegum cartoon band song, the number one song? I think you answered it, honestly. I mean, it was Vietnam. It was all this crazy stuff happening, and maybe people just wanted a happy-go-lucky escape from, like, the realities of the Vietnam War and stuff.
0: I agree. I think people needed some frickin' Betty and Veronica in their life. Everything was so heavy, and all the rock music was, like, political, and finally this little cartoon Diddy Bop band comes out, and it's like, I'm for it. That reasoning... (laughs)
3: I guess makes sense to me, Matt. You said this was the number one selling song of that year on Billboard. It's actually number two behind. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius from the Fifth Dimension, (laughs) which I don't know. If I were the Fifth Dimension, I'd be kind of bummed if I (laughs) was if I was behind Sugar Sugar. But I don't know. This song apparently it's lasted. Everyone knows this song. I. I would be very, very surprised if someone listening to this right now doesn't know this song, unless maybe you're from some country where this song isn't popular, but I I would find it hard to believe that any American from age three to age 95 wouldn't know this song.
0: It did quite well in other countries too. I forget what the exact list and I know like South Africa, Australia, I mean, English speaking countries, but it. It hit some
2: toppers there, too. So one of the weirder things that I learned while researching this one, it was a number one hit in the United States, the UK, and Canada. And the Archies being a one-hit wonder in the States is like a little bit questionable, and we could get into that. But they were a definitive one-hit wonder in Canada. This was the only (laughs) song that charted in Canada. So All right. Well, did either of you actually read
3: Archie? comics as a kid or know anything about the Archie universe
0: yeah I mean I didn't read the comics but always when you would check out at the grocery store they would have Archie I think they still have Archie comics at the checkout I so I was always I always saw them and sometimes if the line was long as a kid I would like flip through because I was bored
2: mm.
1: yeah
3: yeah I I was aware I maybe had a few of them I was aware of Archie recently I watched the first season of riverdale which gave me a whole <laughs> a whole other perspective of the archie universe it's
0: like a guilty pleasure watch you're like i shouldn't like this but i can't look away
2: it's so funny because like Riverdale, I'm in the middle of watching it for the first time and Riverdale makes me so angry even though I never read the Archie comics. I still am like, why is this based on Archie?
0: <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. like a loose adaptation. Like try, I don't know. Yeah, I honestly, I only watched season one and I think it was like two years ago when I was home from work with the flu and like had to like stay on the couch for three days and I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> let's try well, Riverdale. I can,
2: th- I can tell you where I'm at right now in season three. There's two rival gangs battling out in the streets of Riverdale every episode episode and I'm just like, you know, just like the 50s Archie comics. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I think I stopped at one.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I stopped at one as well. For some reason, I kind of liked something about it. I realized how ridiculous it was. But Matt, you have a good point. Why didn't that show just exist as not the characters from (laughs) Archie? Like, what about that world had anything to do with those cartoon characters from yeah the the 60s i don't understand
2: it's a five minute snl skit that somehow has lasted five full seasons like that (laughs) like if you had done like a sketch about just like oh look it's like a gritty version of riverdale how ridiculous it'd be like oh that's like a a sketch from snl that people vaguely remember but like right. five seasons and counting is insane
0: it's because they got the tween group because they don't know who the archies are and then like you give tweens like a little bit of that sexual tension and dark and brooding and they're in Yeah. yeah.
2: jughead is yeah. a sex symbol for the first time in 60 years <laughs> <laughs> like...
3: jughead was way too emo on that show for me
0: <laughs> to... well I... it took me a minute to realize who it was i was like oh he's like a good actor and then i was like oh my gosh that's freaking the little kid from big daddy i yeah. exactly
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah up. the kid from big daddy is all i knew him as apparently maybe some younger people knew him as somebody from
0: something else
2: like, as... Zack and cody yeah
0: it was a very <laughs> i never watched it i was too old but it uh was a very successful tweenie show hmm is around I the
2: same time as Hannah Montana,
0: possible. I think. They kind
3: of were in that yeah, okay. era. I think gotcha. they
2: even crossed over a few times, honestly. <laughs> gotcha. Probably. Gotcha.
3: Matt, I, I'm surprised you didn't put this in the notes. I need to know, okay, this is a cartoon band a la, I don't know, Alvin and the Chipmunks or what What are some of the other cartoon bands? Um, the Groovy Ghoulies, right?
2: Who plays what in the band? Oh, I can't fair, believe you fair. didn't tell I me. Listed, I listed everybody without Okay, so Jughead is the drummer. These are the ones I definitely know. Jughead is the drummer. Reggie is the bassist. Archie is guitar and vocals. And I think one of them, Betty or Veronica, plays keyboards. Veronica Veronica plays keyboards. And I think Betty's just backup vocals. She's like a tambourine
0: with backup vocals. They they just (laughs) felt
2: bad for her. Like one of them was like, she's hot. Let's just give her a tambourine. Let her in the band. I want to talk real quick, if we can, just about like, we can dive all into the whole Archie everything. But I think the way that the actual Archies came to be, which I learned about through a podcast Chris and I both love, Bizarre Albums. Right. Fascinating story. Gelsi, do you know that the Archies were formed out of spite? Spite of the monkeys. I love it. I, I love that the wiki page describes it as Don Kirshner needed a band that he could control. Yeah.
0: It's it's so basically that he was like, oh, artists are the worst. Let me get some studio (laughs) artists who need the work that just basically will do anything because that's their paycheck is like, just give me the material and I do it. I wanted to highlight
2: a few aspects about this song. So the vocals for Archie are done by a guy named Ron Dante, who the only other big thing that he did is he produced a ton of Barry Manilow albums. Okay. And then the backup vocals are done by Tony Wine. Tony Wine wrote a bunch of Motown hits that included A Groovy Kind of Love, Knock Three Times, Black Pearl, and then she continued to co-write songs for the Ronettes and the Shirelles. She went to Juilliard to play piano, but for the last 30 years, she has been the voice of the Meow Mix Cat.
0: <laughs> nice. That's probably the, my favorite thing I read about
2: this.
3: <laughs> Juilliard. So, Ron Dante and Tony Wine, did they... They just
2: performed the music. They didn't write this.
3: Who wrote this? Oh, Jeff Barry and Andy Kim. Okay. Andy gotcha. Kim.
2: And Jeff Barry wrote right. Do-A-Diddy-Diddy, Do-Run-Run, Run, and Be My Baby. Um, And Andy Kim was a pop singer in the 60s who was famous for covering those songs, as well as a couple other Phil Spector songs. So they collaborated to write Sugar Sugar for the Monkees. It was written for the Monkees. Right.
3: So, you know, this is the Archie's... Are a one-hit wonder, but the team, the team behind this song, are responsible for tons of hit songs. They knew what they were doing, is what
0: we're getting. Yeah, at here. I had like four, five other songs that Jeff Barry produced. He's incredible. Yeah, like yeah. I was like, what? You, this guy is like genius.
2: I think that that's the thing that we've talked about before. When we, when the few times that we've dabbled into like 50s and 60s music, is like I think you get a lot of one-hit wonders. From that time period, because so few artists were writing their own songs. So you just had these hit makers who would write a single for this band, a single for that band. So, like, you've got these writers that got a hundred songs under their belt for a hundred one hit wonder artists. Right.
3: And if you have these people that are writing all the songs, now this doesn't really apply to like these Motown groups who are absolutely amazing, but these songwriters could write songs for somebody that's cute or a cartoon band and you know you have that extra layer of like oh we got our thing how we're going to sell this thing before they already know how they're going to sell it before the song even comes out so i don't know it's a little bit of an advantage i guess right
2: yeah no i mean it definitely it helped and you have to think that like actually advertising on a cartoon like even though Alvin and the Chipmunks is very much like a group of the 60s are they were they, were they 60s yeah like that's when they first mm-hmm. came out but like i grew up on their cartoon series so i started buying the 80s albums that they could do so it's like when you have a cartoon band they never have to grow old <laughs> you know what i mean that's like, a good point the california raisins could come back This year, and they would be the exact same age as when I watched them in 1987. You
3: You brought... I love that you brought up the California Raisins because also... Matt, of course, I listened to that Bizarre Albums episode about the California Raisins and got really depressed at one point when I realized I've had a, a music career for 25 plus years and haven't achieved the level of success of the California Raisins yet. <laughs> and I was like, damn it. If only we could be as big as the California
0: Raisins. <laughs> and the California Raisins just covered songs. Yes.
3: Yeah, they, they had, had one, like original. one original. They <laughs> had an
2: original. Like Yeah,
0: but like for the most part, they just read it and still... Like...
2: One of my favorite... Yeah things that i own it's called the california raisins complete collection i literally bought it for one 30 minute tv special that they did called meet the raisins where it was like a full blown parody of the beatles like introducing how the california raisins were formed and how they kicked out their original drummer because he was a melon and he didn't fit the vibe of the other <laughs> raisins so they brought in i did like if you know the history of the beatles it is one of the most entertaining parodies of it. But I just recently found out that like the writer of it was Craig Bartlett, who went on to create Hey Arnold. Oh, wow. His start was writing Meet the Raisins and working on the Penny cartoons for Pee Wee's Playhouse. Whoa. Oh, <laughs>
0: Penny cartoons are my favorite.
2: <laughs> Penny cartoons were, yeah, that was
3: my favorite part of Pee Wee. And I I look back and I'm like, why was that my favorite part of Pee Wee? I don't know. It's Something about it. Maybe it was like the little kid actually doing the voice to it, and then the claymation or something. I, I guess I loved claymation in the 80s. That sledgehammer video. I think we all did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, we're talking <laughs> I think about that's why it was so popular. We that's like... probably why we're talking about
3: the California raisins. <laughs> we all <laughs> we, we all we we loved it. Yeah, man. This uh, how do we feel about this song? Apparently, Gelsey, you like this song, right? Is
0: that why? I love this song this is probably one of my all-time favorite songs like i dance just like betty and veronica in the little cartoon music video and they're kind of like i stole that move it's just you can't not bop along to it it's yeah Yeah. it's the perfect feel-good song
3: i've been thinking all morning about whether i like this song or not and i listened to their other the archies well yeah the the i said the album that this is on i listened to the first song which was basically like it was I forget how it went, but it was basically like, here comes Archie. Oh, there's Betty and Veronica. But where's Jughead? That was basically like that was basically like I was like, what is this? This is so stupid. And sit I'm sitting there, it's a nice morning, sipping some coffee, listening to it through the through the speaker on my phone, listening to this album. Like, I don't know if I like this. And I'm still trying to figure out sugar sugar. I guess I like it. Yeah, I, I guess I do. They had another song. We're we're qualifying this as a one-hit wonder, the Archies, but they did have some other kind of hit songs, one of which I recognized.
2: Was it Jingle Jangle? No. <laughs> or Bang Bang Shang-A-Lang? Oh, man. It was one they have a music video for. Technically, yeah. They had four songs that were top 40 hits. Uh, Bang Shang-A-Lang, which hit 22. Jingle Jangle, that hit 10. And Who's Your Baby That Hit 40? But obviously, like we said earlier, Sugar Sugar hit number one. Hey, Get get On The Line. Get On The Line was the, the song I know. Do you know that one? I don't
3: think so. Uh, wait. Yes, you do. Get on the line.
0: I listened to the, I heard it, I think yesterday or the day before I had it playing while I was doing stuff. I know that that song. That one did come on and I was like, okay, I'm not mad. Because the other ones I was like getting like bicycle, roller skates, bicycles and you, I was like, I'm mad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That song is making me really mad. Like, it was like when I used to have a project do at school and you do it like right before the bell rings and like that's what they handed in was that song. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, it is. Bubblegum popped to the point where they probably have a song called Bubblegum. <laughs> the other songs are not good, but they did have some other songs that charted. I don't know. Maybe the, the kids were buying them. I mean, I guess we got to remember sometimes that like, yeah, I'm over here. I started this episode by talking about Vietnam was happening and, you know, you have all this social unrest and stuff like that. But who buys albums? It's kids. <laughs> they mm-hmm. they weren't they, they weren't concerned with that. They're watching Saturday morning cartoons. So Yeah.
0: And I still think it's in that generation. Like I like Vietnam was the first time that there was like that huge, like revolt. We don't trust our government. We don't, you know, there, but I think it was still because it's kind of coming out of the early sixties and even the generation of the fifties, there were still a lot of suburban families. I think that shielded, like pretended that didn't, that wasn't existing and they were still trying to live their like perfect step for lives. And so I think a lot of kids bought into this, but they were just so sheltered still. I I think people were still trying to live in that past.
3: Yeah, that makes sense, and. You know when I'm I looking at it, like what else was popular on this Billboard list where I have Sugar Sugar as number two, Temptations I can't get next to use on that list, Rolling Stones Honky Tonk Women, Uh, but The Sly and the Family Stone Everyday People. Now that's a song that makes me think of that era for sure. You know,
2: and Honky Tonk Woman was the song that Sugar Sugar unseated as the number one song the week that it peaked on the charts. You know, I'm gonna sound like a a
3: guy who doesn't know what he's talking about whatsoever, but I don't even know what Rolling Stones song that is.
0: Honky Tonk Women? Yeah. It's the honky tonk women. Give me, give me, give me the honky tonk blues. Okay. I'm a huge Stones fan, like huge. <laughs> it, it, it's funny, like for
3: how much I love the Beatles and the Beach Boys. And I, I, I just, I don't really go into like, The Stones or Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd. Like, I don't know anything about those bands.
0: They're a little more grimy. I always say, like, between the Beatles, because I used to be a huge Beatles fan, and then as I got older, the Stones took over. And the Beatles derive more from pop rock. Right. The Stones are more blues rock. So even the Stones were, like, we're bluesmen. And they would go to the Deep South and, like, go to, like, these grimy blues clubs. And, like, their B-sides are, like, legit hardcore blues. Well, and that's
2: I just was having a talk with a friend the other day about this, because I'm, like one toe in right now with the stones like i'm just like really starting to get into the waters we'll talk of that. Later. <laughs> but like the thing that i noticed <laughs> with with them is like first off i always imagined the, the way it's always been set up for me is like it is the beatles versus the stones 1968 or whatever but it's like really the stones didn't start to blow up in the states until after the beatles like it was way more like the beatles mm-hmm. versus the beach boys during the time that the beatles were a band but also that like Every B-side by the Stones I've heard is so much better than any single by the by the Stones. Like <laughs> like when I hear like a random, you know, I I watch a lot of Arty indie films like like Wes Anderson has introduced me to B- Rolling Stone songs that I like a lot that sound nothing like the songs that I had grown up listening to by the Stones.
0: That's the thing is I think a lot of people like their hits are great. I mean, I love them, but they're their hits are the epitome of like classic rock and you think like like Honky Tonk Women's a perfect one It black, whatever, you know, Satisfaction. Those are very, but when you go to their B-sides, there's some good. Yeah, you
2: get into like the she, she Smiled Sweetly or 100 Years is like my favorite Stones song currently.
0: Okay. Sweet Virginia. I don't know. I mean, they get down to like you could be on a back porch and you're like, this is good. I oh, love this. And Stones Chris,
2: game. the stuff that I was <laughs> seeing on some of the biggest selling singles worldwide, obviously Archie Sugar Sugar was on there. Honky Tonk Woman by Rolling Stones was on there. Get Back by The Beatles was on there, which like I don't even really think of as like that big of a song for The Beatles but i guess so and then uh, i think this was one of his last hits but um elvis presley's suspicious minds was like a huge song in the best elvis song
3: or oh, no second best that's the second best elvis song what's the first can't help falling in love can't help falling oh, in love yeah. the best elvis song i mean when you before when you be 40 does it <laughs> i would take the the ub 40 version of can't help falling in love over any elvis song performed by him I'm not even joking.
0: It's interesting, like, you going through all, like, the hits. It's one thing I didn't do is actually see what was kind of running up next to this song. And everything you say sounds very, you say, oh, these were the 69 hits. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense of where we were in with music, with political, this, that. It's like this one totally stands out as, I thought this actually came out earlier. When I was doing research, I was like, oh, this has to be, like, 64 Mm -hmm. yeah i would have given it like i wouldn't have bet past 66 yeah this is doing the beatles
2: five years after the beatles stopped doing this and
0: like and like (laughs) old (laughs) beatles like very again like cutesy just kids next door like and i think maybe again because it did so well was everything it was up against no one it was like the last bit of that innocence before we get into like the rock of early 70s that goes into disco and you know it just I think everyone wanted to hold on. Even
2: in that same vein, the, the day that... So it peaked at number one on September 20th, 1969. And like some of the other songs on the charts, like I said, Honky Tonk Woman was on there. Green River by CCR was on the charts at number three. Mm. A Boy Named Sue by Johnny Cash was at number four. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, Get Shell. Together by The Youngbloods was on there. So yeah, like still just these very... Pol- like songs that you hear and you either hear... Like Boy Named Sue is an angry song to me. Yeah. And then, like, Green River and Get Together are, like, quintessential, like, Vietnam movie songs. Soundtracks (laughs) and mom.
0: Actually, it was interesting because this song was released in May of 1969 under the Calendar label. And it didn't do that well. And so it was re-released mid-July under the Kirshner label, which both of them, Don Kirshner, it was his label. But he redid it and took the label off and gave it to DJs to play and was like, it's a mystery group. And everyone's like, "Who is this?" And then it blew up, and they're like, "It's the Archies," and <laughs> and so they had to release it twice. So the first round, it kind of got lost.
3: Yeah, I saw that May release that we, May twenty fourth, and we were listening on the porch with my girlfriend this morning. She went, "I guarantee you this was like a summer hit, like because I was trying to understand like why would this be nineteen sixty nine a hit?" But I didn't realize. Yeah, it didn't peak until the time of year that we're recording this September This doesn't feel, this doesn't feel like a September
0: song. You know, this is when, but it's like a Halloween anthem. Now, anytime I go into like a oh. Halloween store, I always hear sugar, sugar. Cause they always, you, there's only so many Halloween songs you can play, you know, throughout the season. And so any candy song they always play. And so I always hear it around. Wow. The
3: I didn't think of that. And, mm-hmm. and it's crazy how little Halloween songs exist for yeah. how many, you know Christmas songs or whatever like there's not really like the what's what is the number one go-to Halloween song you think of
2: if I say name monster mash okay yeah that's that and thriller I feel like are the two main ones yeah
3: I think of dead man's party which I think that song's amazing but like but
2: that's an obscure one I think I love that song Mm -hmm. but I think that's more obscure I I think if I put that on For my parents, they'd be like, what is this? Right.
3: I didn't think about that aspect, the Halloween aspect, but that makes sense. I was also thinking when I thought about this song, you know, I was like, look at the lyrics. I'm like, what? I know this is bubblegum. Almost literally, we're talking about sugar and candy (laughs) and comparing like, honey, sugar, 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 you're my candy girl. And you got me wanting you. Whatever. People like candy that you're talking about someone being... I assume a sweet person. <laughs> I don't know, like there's not really much to it, but then I was thinking about like all the 80s songs that this had to have influenced. Now I'm sure this was influenced by other. There were definitely songs about people being sweet like
0: Candy Girl. Candy Girl. That one always is on Halloween songs too. Uh, Wait, which one? I was one thinking
3: of new edition. So is I
0: Candy Girl. Candy Girl. Girl. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a I know what song. Yeah, Candy I, it's too way too high to Yeah, it's so good. It's another one of my favorites. They're just happy, good-feeling songs.
2: pour some sugar on me. I feel (laughs) what's interesting for me when it comes to Sugar Sugar is that, like, lyrically, it's kind of trash. Like, the lyrics bring, like, nothing to the table, but the melody in which they're sung is, like... Like, I think that the verses... I like the melody to the verses, even though the lyrics say almost nothing.
0: Oh, but the best part is, I'm gonna make you laugh so sweet. It's
2: like <laughs> the best
0: part. I'm always like, yes. Um, it was Frankie Valli. Frankie Valli oh. and the Four Seasons did "Candy Girl." That's why I couldn't sing it. I was like, oh,
2: it's too early so, for Frankie. I mean, this song's been covered by a shit ton of people. Side note, right? <laughs> like, I saw successfully.
0: That. Wilson Pickett did it in 1970, and he got on the t- he was number 25 with it, and then he got on the number four of the R&B chart. And it was just a year later. He's like, cool. It's been a year. Is that enough time? Yeah, right? That, that's crazy. Like, that seems kind of like cheating. All of them. And then Jimmy McGiff did an instrumental cover in 71. I was like, wait, did, <laughs> we just did this. So yeah. I didn't
2: know about this one, but until literally talking to Gelsey about the pick, but Bob Marley and the Wailers covered it at one point. <laughs>
0: 1998, they covered it. Whoa. And it's good. It's so fun. It's like that that has a similar um Tina Turner, Ike and Tina Turner did a cover in 77, and it's good. It's they give it this like, oh, it's like they re put the emphasis of what the lyrics are. Like it just is a completely different meaning of a song with with the soul. And then Tom Jones did a cover in 1970 as well. And it just sounds like Tom Jones singing it. Kurt Russell
2: covered it. Oh, <laughs> the germ the punk band The Germs. Alex Chilton of Big Star. <laughs>
0: Mary Lou Lord in 95 and the music video is like Drew Barrymore with a pixie cut like laughing.
2: I can tell you a whole lot about that. Okay, so strap in (laughs) because that's how I first heard the song. So Mary Lou Lord and Semisonic, Semisonic was the backing band on that cover, did it for this album. It is one of my favorite albums of all time called Saturday Morning Cartoons Greatest Hits and it came out in 1995 and it was all of these grunge and alternative artists covering 70s cartoon theme songs. So you had like Sponge did like Speed Racer and like Face to Face did Popeye the Sailor Man and the Ramones do Space uh, Spider-Man. It's insane. But to promote that video, they shot a music video for all 19 songs and put out a VHS tape starring Drew Barrymore, where it's her and her friends having a sleepover watching Saturday morning cartoons. And each time that they put on a cartoon, it's a music video. So that's where all the music videos, go. that's why she's in all the music videos. But Mary Lou Lord, I was like, I don't know who this is. And when you look at the album, like the, the artists on it, it's all heavy hitters. And then this random Mary Lou Lord person. So I researched her a little bit. She was a folk singer in the early 90s. And she was really oh, close wow. with Kurt Cobain and Elliot Smith. And then in 2019, she did a podcast called How the Hell Did This Happen, which detailed her romantic and friendships with those two men. Do you remember
3: those things? I think they called it DTV. It was like Disney, and it would be like some popular song at the time. I remember like... I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. And it would be like things from Disney cartoons of like Donald Duck and whatever, Daisy Duck, like falling yeah. in love and yeah. stuff. Do you remember those? Those like I
2: remember those and I have, at some point, I have to digitize them all first before I do this. But uh, on the Geekscape Twitch channel, at some point I want to start doing a series where I go through these old VHS tapes that I have and just stream myself watching it with a different friend. But I have a taped off of the Disney Channel special of mickey mouse's valentine's day from 1989 and like the music in that was like tell it to my heart and like together forever by rick ashley like all of like the love songs from the late 80s but with like disney cartoons just like plastered all over right yeah that's
3: basically that's (laughs) basically what i'm getting at dude and and, and if my vhs's weren't in like a hot attic and all melted when Disney Channel would be free for a week when I was a kid, I just taped everything. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I remember watching, I taped this thing Home Alone. Not the Home Alone you're thinking of, <laughs> but <laughs> Home Alone was a special on the Disney Channel hosted by Malcolm Jamal Warner about what to do if you're home alone and like emergencies happen. <laughs> and I must've watched it so many times. It was on the same tape I had Dirt Bike Kid on.
2: <laughs> when I was a kid in the 90s, I would set my VCR to record SNL every Saturday night and then Sunday morning I would hook up the two VCRs together and have a separate blank tape where I would watch the SNL and I was like oh that skit was really funny. I would then put that on this new VHS tape so I could just build a like seven hour tape of all of my favorite SNL sketches over like a two decade, like wow. a two year period. I want to watch that tape so bad. I,
3: I, I definitely <laughs> edited the commercials out. I would be taping, taping Ren and Stimpy, pausing at the commercials, unpausing. Beavis and Butthead. Do you remember how you could have a VHS tape and you could tape for either, you could tape for two hours at like high quality. Or you could put it on six hours at like a lower quality.
0: And we're kids, so lower quality, more hours.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But for the Ren and Stimpy, my Ren and Stimpy tapes, they were all high quality.
0: I think the only one tape I had that my sister and I like, there was a marathon day and we were like, get the blank tape, was um, a Powerpuff Girls marathon. Nice. One of my favorite episodes of the Powerpuff Girls, you're talking about the Beatles earlier and speaking of songs, they do an entire episode where they speak only in Beatles lyrics and make references to their history. And write in like the villains being—it's brilliant. <laughs> like the writing on it is genius. It's like this lost hidden. I'm like, why did this? Like they had great writers. But
3: bringing this back to to the Archies a little bit, uh, the Archies <laughs> yeah, just a bit. were, were the Archies Hanna Barbera. What what what
2: are what is. Archie's. They were obviously a comic book and I think they just wrote into the comic book oh. that they had a band and then you would go and buy the albums wow. to hear what the music by the Archie's were.
3: Well dude what are these What are these music videos? I mean the Sugar Sugar there's a... I assumed that these music videos of the Archie's that was from the cartoon. You're telling me All there right. wasn't a cartoon?
2: Okay here it is. It was from Filmation in on CBS started on Saturday mornings with the Archie show okay. on September 1968 Uh, And then expand it to the Archie Comedy Hour, which added the half-hour show Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Uh, In the 70s, it became Archie's Funhouse and featured live-action segments. They continued to make Archie cartoon shows until 1978, including Archie's TV Funnies, The U.S. of Archie, and the new Archie and Sabrina Hour. Okay. Yeah, so I'm not crazy. Okay, here we go. So this is a breakdown of the first episode of the Archie's Cartoon series. Story number one, the added distraction. Cut to the bubblegum dance. Song, bang shang-a-lang. The Jughead short fetch. Story number two, the disappearing act. So it was basically like a variety show where it's like, let's throw in. Every single one of them had a a dance segment and a song. Okay.
3: In Archie, now, I only really... Maybe I read the comic once or twice as a little kid. And then I've seen Riverdale. But I... When I saw Riverdale, I kind of felt like Archie was a dork. But I felt like in the Archie
0: comics, wasn't he like a hunk, like a jock, kind of? I think they're attempting to make him a hunk Really, in Riverdale. I, that's, when I watch, I totally get what you're saying, but I think they're trying to make him, like, he's like the jock and he's like sleeping with the teacher and you know i don't know a little bit of like okay but it's they just casted that all wrong
3: they casted the wrong guy if that's what they're going for
2: no i agree let me see yeah. if, i mean i'm seeing him rocking a letterman's jacket in this right. original cartoon well he
3: rocks one in like- the riverdale too but i just found i mean i don't know i thought betty and Veronica they nailed it <laughs> you know i guess jughead I, although jughead i thought was like a a
0: goofball not a he was not like this like dark and brooding yeah, yeah like jughead's supposed to be like Love Jughead. I, like... Just, I, was like, I just want
2: to read this sentence as i'm looking on the archie andrews wikipedia page i just happened to see that one of the options was death and i clicked into that and it just said On April 2014, 72 years after the character's first appearance, Archie Comics announced that the adult version of Archie would die in the July 2014 comic. Meanwhile, teenage Archie would continue to live in other Archie comic book series.
3: They had an adult? First of all, are you telling me that the the Archies in the the comics aged? Yes. Archie dies when he
2: is shot in the abdomen while saving his friend, Senator Kevin Kenner. Uh, keller it
0: got dark oh it did why did they get all like like i thought the archies were but it sounds like wait if teen archie is going to keep living an adult archie so now there's like a multiverse in the archies in yeah.
2: the riverdale oh, this, I universe. Love this. the story wow. is written as a way to terminate both storylines without committing to which girl archie ends up marrying and contains several flashbacks to young archie days the final issue is set one year after archie's death all of his friends remembering him and the Riverdale High School officially renaming itself Archie Anders High School in his honor. This is terrible. This is
0: just, this is terrible. You were saying you don't know if you like sugar sugar. This yes. is bad. The final, this
2: is- the final page features Jughead, now the owner of Juggies, <laughs> formerly Pop's Choctaw shop, serving Sundays to three children who resemble little Archie, little Betty, and little Veronica. Wow. Man, okay. those got dark.
3: Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Man, oh, man. All right. Well, the Archies. <laughs> one hit thunder or one hit blunder is the question here. This is a tough one. This is a really hard one
2: because- uh,
3: No, it's not. I'm
2: giving them the blunder. Sugar, sugar, great song. The Everything else about the Archie universe, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you got that Bicycles
1: and
3: whatever song. Yeah, they're a cartoon- Band. I, I don't know. Yeah, the song itself. I'm not even sold. I mean, I know, Gelsie, I know you're sold on the song itself. I get
0: that. but I might have Archie's merch, actually, and I almost wore it. I was like, but I have a sweatshirt and a t-shirt and a hat.
3: <laughs> I'm not sure here. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I like the concept of a cartoon band. It kind of makes me want to start a cartoon band.
2: Don't we know somebody who's doing something about a cartoon Oh, band? yeah, we
3: do. We do. Robin Wilson from the Jim Blossoms has the, the Poppin' Wheelies who you know made the whole album and uh, about a a rock band in space touring in a space van and i think that's cool yeah that's a good point man maybe i'll hit him up can i get involved in this can i be a character on this robin
0: i can be the space tambourine in the back um, just invited the girl because
3: yeah I... <laughs> i'm just kidding
0: <laughs> yeah
3: we could do that um All right. I'm going to give the Archies the the blunder. I think this is way too high for this song to be at at a time where there was so much serious stuff going on in the world. I want to make a a side note, uh, talk about serious stuff. We're recording this on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And the one point I wanted to make about this, and there's a lot of points you can make about that. I will stand my ground that no good song was ever written about 9-11 no one should have touched that subject first of all second of all every song that someone wrote about it was the absolute most atrocious thing i've ever heard (laughs) that's that's where i stand on that anyway yeah i'm giving the rt's a blunder
0: sorry i i do agree with this should not have gotten the number one single of the year
2: i'm gonna say not that this was ever up for debate because they had many hits but uh you know, an eternal thunder to the Monkees, uh, who maybe didn't have any big hits after they left doing stuff for Don Kirshner, but definitely put out some of the most critically acclaimed albums in that time period. So uh, I think they made the right call. The pa- pass it on Sugar Sugar? You think they yeah, made the right I call? Think, pass I think it that was. It? I think that was the right move. So yeah, I, I, mean, know, she... I love, I fucking love the monkeys. I was just looking oh, at their yeah. greatest hits track list, and I'm like, "Yep, I am down with all 20 of these songs."
3: I love the monkeys. I love the show. I love the songs. Yeah, the monkeys get a bad rap. All this monkeys hate out there. Why? Because they weren't a real band. Because they, because they didn't know how to play their instruments. <laughs> because they didn't write the songs. Big deal. There's the monkeys. No one wrote their songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the monkeys.
2: This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the world off the Punchline album, Action. Visit punchline.com for merch, new music, and upcoming shows. If you're a fan of this week's guest and haven't checked out her YouTube channel, search Gelsie Lori or use the links provided in the show notes to find her page. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit WeKnowPodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
0: you a fan of young adult novels?
1: Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels?
0: Then join author Eric J. Brown
1: and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle
0: every other Tuesday on YAOK.
1: Available on all podcasting apps.
3: You're listening to the Geekscape Network.